Welcome to Catholic Radio Indy's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler. I'm Kent Blanford. Each week, we'll bring you a sampling of some of the best Catholic podcasts being prepared and shared out there on the internet. Most of the time, when we think of saints, what comes to mind are those glorious examples of lives well-lived from times long, long ago. In our first offering on today's sampler, Jackie and Bobby Angel are joined on their podcast by Sabrina Farisi to share the story of Blessed Carlo Acutis, a young man born in 1991 whose short but venerable life has led to his being named Blessed along his way to full sainthood. Hi, welcome back to Conversations with Jackie and Bobby. We're your hosts, Jackie and Bobby Angel. And today we're blessed to be talking with a wife, a mother, a journalist, and an author. And to dive into her story, as well as the story of Blessed Carlo Acutis, the amazing discovery of a teenager in heaven, written by our guest today, author Sabrina Farisi. Sabrina, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Good. Doing well. Yeah, the weather in Texas is always something. <laughs> Keeps us on our toes. <laughs> but we're doing great. Uh, the one here in New York is pretty, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. So Sabrina, you are based in New York. Could you share a little bit of your story, your story of faith and how you got into writing, into journalism, etc.? Sure. Um, I grew up in New York. Uh, and I was always Catholic. My parents raised me Catholic. I went to Catholic school from K through 12. And I always had a desire to write. Um, even as a little girl, my desire was, I, I just loved reading and I loved writing. I was always writing little stories. Um, but I did kind of get sidetracked um, when I went through college. Um, I went through graduate school. I studied political science and international relations. And uh, living in New York, it's very, very hard to get into the newspaper business because the newspapers are, are, you know, so prestigious and so difficult to get into. So I, I went into the business world for several years. I worked for an insurance company and um, I found it really boring, but I did have a boss who constantly made me write and do research. And honestly, he taught me how to write. In, in a very weird way, I got my journalism experience through this very tough boss who constantly was asking me to write about different countries in the world. He gave me strict deadlines. I had to interview many people. Um, so it's interesting how sometimes God prepares you for something in a way you wouldn't expect. Uh, so when I was 26, I met my husband who's in Leonardo and we moved to Rome. So there I am in Rome, thrilled because who doesn't love Rome. And I'm still working for this insurance company and I'm still finding it somewhat boring. And I had a friend who um, got a job at the Vatican. And uh, one evening we got together a group of us for pizza. And uh, I sat next to someone who was a Vatican journalist. And he was saying, I have so much work to do. I can barely get all my work done. And then I went home and I was like, I can't stand my job and this person needs help. What am I doing? So I, um, I ended up calling him and I got an interview with iMedia, which um, they publish Magnificat in the United States, if you know Magnificat. So um, they, uh, they had this news service covering the Vatican and I got a job 
so I got a job with them because I could speak Italian and English. And I was a practicing Catholic. And I would spend five years uh, covering the last, um, the last couple of years of Pope John Paul II's papacy. And it was amazing, really um, one of the best experiences of my life. So that's where I got my start writing. And I write for the National Catholic Register. I'm a freelancer. Um, I've written for other papers, our Sunday Visitor, Catholic World Report, but I mainly write for the Register. So it's been wonderful. Awesome. We just had a, a recent anniversary trip to Rome and ate all the cheesy pasta that we could and just loved walking around the city and all the ruins. Oh. And so I can imagine <laughs> like it was just a whole lot of different experiences, a whole lot of great people to talk to while you were there. It was amazing. It, I mean, being that I grew up in New York, so I'm used to things being modern, skyscrapers. But what's amazing about Rome is everything is so old and ancient. And, and if you're a Catholic, there are so many things. I mean, there's so many churches there, saints that are buried there. There's so much history for Catholics. So I really appreciated it. I loved it. Being a journalist, did you get any kind of backstage pass? Like, did you get to meet John Paul II, Pope Benedict? Um, yes. Yep. I got to meet Pope John Paul II three times in person. Um, and I meant to, I went to many of his, you know, audiences with thousands of people. Of course, I met Pope Benedict before he became Pope when he was a cardinal. And I even met Pope Francis when he was just the Archbishop of Buenos Aires and when he was created cardinal. So you just bump into a lot of people uh, just in front of St. Peter's Basilica, just walking around. It's, it's amazing who you will bump into. So, no, it was a wonderful experience. I'm and super then, grateful. And then after that experience, so when did you move back to the States? We, yeah, we moved back in 2005. In 2005, we moved back to this area. We're north of New York City and we have five kids. So at this point, I've, I always, I work from home. I've always worked from home after that. And journalism is great because um, you really can do it from home on the phone with a computer. It's great. So did you have, you already had some kids in Rome then with you? I did. I had two, uh, my two older boys were born in Rome. Wow. They're my Romans. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, my little Roman boys. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And the them. rest were born here. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So we were on the way to Rome and I was reading this book. Yeah. Someone had given it to us. I, f I forget how it arrived at our house, but I finally made time to read it and was been asking for his intercession and, and, but finally read it. And man, his story is just amazing. And come to find out as well that he is buried in Assisi. And we were planning on yeah. taking a day trip to Assisi. That was already planned for this, this. That was our only plan. That was the only outside eating pasta. Was because both <laughs> of us have been to Rome before. Right. And seen all the stuff you have to see the first time. And we knew we right. wanted to just right. walk around and go into, you know, the little churches on every corner and, you know, see who's buried there, see the relics there. And we knew the yeah. one thing we both hadn't done was go to Assisi. So the fact that you're reading this book... And we didn't know this when we planned to go to CC. Yeah. And, and so I was like, are you kidding me? He's there. And so in between seeing Saint the Church of St. Clair, where she's buried, the Church of St. Francis, where he's buried, we made time and we went to the, yeah. the church where he is. 
And this was in January. It was 40 degrees and windy in a CC. And there was so snow on the ground. There still. was no one around, no, no other tourists. And we had just this privileged time to sit in front of his... Um, it's an interesting like casket because one side of it is glass. Yeah. And there's a bench right. right nearby. And we just had this time to sit and pray. And, um, and there was no one else coming through the church. Yeah, just, just ask for his intercession. So... Let's break his story open for anyone who doesn't know uh, or, or just is really curious to hear more. How did you in how, how were you introduced to his story and how like were you asked to write this book on him or was this your yeah. own? No, no, that, that's a great question. So I found out about Carlo by reading Alatea. Do you know Alatea? Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah, the website. I had just read a Right. It's a it's an online Catholic uh, news service. And there was just a brief article on this boy from Milan who passed away recently, who was on his way to beatification. And of course, that immediately strikes me because I have teenagers and I'm like, huh, OK. And then one day the register calls me and they said, we want you to interview his mother because he's going to be beatified. This was in 2020. So it was the summer of 2020, and um, I was able to get Antonia's phone number. This is the mother of Carlo Acutis, and set up an interview with her. And, you know, just on a human level, I was being asked to interview a woman whose son had died at the age of 15. And just that story alone was enough to break my heart, because I had to ask her about it. Um, but it was such an amazing conversation we had. We spoke for an hour and um, and she told me the whole story about Carlo. I didn't know that much. And, um, you know, we can go through it. But basically, uh, she and her husband were not practicing the faith. And little Carlo, at the age of four, began to ask really deep questions about God. He was a very precocious little boy. And he would ask her things and she wouldn't know the answer. And so she started to realize, um, I have to do something because at a certain point, he's going to lose respect for us. Because, uh, you know, he, he would ask about other things that she could answer because she's a mom. But at this, on these issues about the faith, she didn't know anything because she just, like so many Italians, she had gotten her sacraments, um, but wasn't practicing at all. So uh, because of Carlo, she was spurred on to start studying the faith. She started to take theology classes and really he pushed her to start her spiritual journey, as she put it, and to become a vibrant and practicing Catholic, she and her husband. So um, really, it was just such an interesting conversation, because this is another thing. Most of the saints who are canonized or beatified and canonized today lived a very long time ago. So you don't even have the chance to interview their family. And uh, this uh, Carlo was living now. I mean, he had a laptop, he had a cell phone, he had a PlayStation. So he was living the life that so many of our kids live. Um, and the fact that he was really immersed in technology, but was using it well, I think that's what makes him so interesting for us as Catholics, especially me as a mom. Um, at one point, I mean, I think, my my older boys are in their 20s but at one point i had five teenagers they were all in their teens <laughs> so you know i could really relate to all these issues that come up you know with technology and how do you live your faith with technology so 
That's how I was introduced to this story. How did, and how, I'm sure people are wondering, how did Carlo get introduced to the, the Catholic faith? So basically his mother and father were working full-time out of the house. And immediately after he was born, they had to hire nannies. Uh, this is also very interesting to me because you always think, ah, if they're both working full-time, it's so, you know, you can't pass the faith on that way. It's very hard. And I think it is hard, but God finds a way. So they hired a nanny. Um, there was one particular nanny from Poland named Beata, who was fairly religious. And apparently she spoke to Carlo about God, about Jesus, about, about Mary. But, you know, when I asked her, I'm like, did, did Beata teach him to pray? And she says, no, she just sort of mentioned a few concepts to him, but immediately he latched on to these, these concepts and was asking his parents. And um, whenever they would walk, he would ask them, can I go into the church and please walk me inside? And, you know, it's not like Antonia and Andrea, the husband, were going into church. This was not their tradition. So, you know, they were being dragged into churches by their, by their son, Carlo. So that's how he was introduced to the faith. It was really Beata and then her mom taking an interest and starting to study on her own to keep up with Carlo. Now, when you got to interview his, his mom, were you, was she was she in in shock that he was going to be out of be beatified? Was she still kind of in this like I can't believe this is happening, or was she like, oh no, I could I totally see why? <laughs> I mean, I think she said that I, she and her husband realized, you know, as he was a young teenager, that there was something really different about him. That he was really, she said, he always had this presence of God with him. And he kind of always referred everything to God. He would talk openly about his faith, but he was very natural about it. The big thing I understood is that like, he wasn't a loner or weird. He was very much in the world and um, he had an attractive personality, but he also talked about God all the time. And when he started to learn how to read, he asked for books on the saints. He, you know, would read the children's Bible. So I don't think she was I mean, that's surprised. She knew that there was something extraordinary about him. Um, yeah. Yeah. She knew that, um, you know, he was extremely holy. Yeah. It, for me, it was, it's been beautiful to learn more of his story and see how he was in the world and friends yeah. liked him. Like you said, he wasn't off by himself. He wasn't a weirdo. He wasn't just trying to be a monk in like everyday life. Like, he played PlayStation. He loved Pikachu. He loved being with his friends. He loved his dogs. Like from the outside, it just was like any other young person. Right, right. And yet he put first things first. Like he put God in first place and then was able to enjoy yeah. the whole rest of life for what it is. And he didn't turn people off in the process. Like that. that is so... Right. That's such a beautiful challenge for all of us. And for me, I've been reflecting on that quite a bit because... He would play, he had a self-imposed rule. He would play PlayStation once a week. I mean, sorry, one hour a week. I was like, I can't even, I don't have that discipline yet. <laughs> right. So he had self-control and then he created a website of the Eucharistic Miracles. Using technology for good, like programming computers and creating a, a website mm -hmm. devoted to sharing Eucharistic Miracles around the world, which is still live today. And we'll put that in the show notes. It, yeah. It's it's just so inspiring. 
Yeah. No, he, I mean, he definitely, um, he grew in his faith and, and in these virtues, apparently he had a spiritual director whom he saw once a month in Bologna, a, a priest, and he kept a journal and um, his mother, you know, found this journal after he died. And in the journal, he would say things like, how am I as a friend to my, uh, to the kids at school? How am I as a son? How am I working on this? Like he was working on things. Um, so I don't know how much uh, he was using the PlayStation before he decided to play once a week, but he came to that. It wasn't like he started out with that. And what's interesting is I didn't get the sense that Antonia and the husband imposed a rule on him, like so many of us are trying to do with our kids, that he just said one day, mom, you know what? I, I think I'm only going to play the PlayStation one hour a week. And she's like, why? And he's like, because there's so many other things I want to do. He already had this. I mean, remember, he uh, programmed this website for four years and he died when he was 15. <laughs> so he was working on this since he was 11. So this is amazing. I mean, you know, um, he had things he wanted to get done. There's also... Um, this is the sense I got from interviewing Antonia for all my research that he had a sense that he wasn't going to live a long time. Hmm. And we don't know if, you know, God made that somehow, you know, gave him this message, but um, he didn't, he didn't necessarily think he was going to live a long time. Can we, can we um, yeah. talk about that? Like the circumstances of his death? Sure. So when he was in, it was October of his sophomore year. So he was incredibly young and he suddenly came down with the flu. Well, flu like symptoms. Sorry. He had a fever and just was feeling, feeling awful. So uh, they're living in Milan. I have um, my brother and sister-in-law and nephew live in Milan. It's freezing there in the winter. So um, the parents of Carlo were like, Oh, this is a, a typical flu. Everyone's getting it. It's the same thing. But after one or two days, they realized this was a little bit different, that um, he, he was starting to really worry them. So um, they took Carlo to the hospital and they started to do blood tests. And immediately they discovered that he had this extreme form of leukemia, that it was terminal. And from the moment of his diagnosis until his death, three days passed. Oh my goodness. So um, one thing I, I was looking over my notes today, he was perfectly healthy up until then. A few months before, he went with his parents to Fatima, which had been his long dream. And there are pictures of him in, in Fatima with his parents, really happy. So he was in perfect health up until that week. Wow. So it was a very fast death. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for sharing, too. Like, there's the, um, you know, we, we jump to put these saints on pedestals and we get excited about them. But there's also like the grieving family, like the mother who lost the mom and dad who lost oh. their son at age 15. Yeah, no. Um, one thing she has said publicly is that if she not started her spiritual journey because of Carlo when he was four, she would never have been able to deal with his death. Neither she nor her husband would have been able to, to handle it. And I think about people who don't have faith and, and who face tragedies. And I always say, dear God, how can they face it without faith? And um, when I interviewed her, you know, her voice never cracked or anything. She seemed very happy and serene. And, you know, I was talking to my sister-in-law today about this. And I'm like, she appeared to be a woman who is completely healed 
from the death of her son. And what makes them happy is to know that he has become an example for teenagers around the world. And his life meant something. It wasn't a wasted life. And there, there are things happening around the world that she said, you know, only by the hand of God is this stuff happening. There are prayer groups all around the world dedicated to Carlo. Uh, there are schools that have been opened in his honor. There's like theater groups, Catholic theater groups. And it's not like, you know, she goes around the world opening these things up. They're happening spontaneously. Like sometimes they'll find out about things. They're like, okay. But um, she said, there's no way, even if I wanted to, we could have organized all this stuff. It's it's just happening. Yeah, so I think about him because he would be... He would be 32 today. Well, he died in 2006. He was born in 91. I just think I was a youth minister when he, like he would have been one of my teens in my youth ministry. Yeah, yeah. It's just crazy. No, yeah, it's amazing that. to think because I, when I was a youth minister right out of college, I had kids who were born in 1990, 1991, 1992. And that's yeah. what's so beautiful for this generation is they see, yeah, a young, a young man who is in his tomb. He has his Nikes on. I mean, he's buried... <laughs> with his Nikes and, and they're like, he's just, he's our, he's a millennial. He's just like us. But, and Bobby and I have known whole, very holy teenagers as well. Like yeah. we, I'm sure, and you know, you being a mom and raising boys and teens, like it is possible. I think that's the beautiful thing about these saints and the, and people who are right. on the road to canonization is that it's absolutely possible to live a life of holiness and that God calls each one of us in our specific gifts and talents to use it all for his glory. And I think blessed Carlo right. definitely shows that like you, you're just you and, and how God made you, but you can absolutely live, you know, a life of holiness, a life of chastity and be happy and joyful, live a life for God and um, just do, do God's will day by day. Well, and the self-mastery, too, to yeah. be in the world and to use technology. Because I think as parents, sometimes it's it's like uh, we know how good it is, but how bad it is, too. And so there's a temptation to yeah. just go Luddite and like no technology, like no nothing. But <laughs> like, yeah, uh, Carlo found the middle well, way. You know, one thing his mom said, we talked about the issue of technology quite a bit. And she said that Carlo felt that um, technology was like an atomic bomb. It could be an atomic bomb for good, or it can be an atomic bomb for bad. And he worried that kids can get really addicted, sucked into living in this virtual world so much so that they don't really go out of the house and have friends. Um, he also, like Facebook was just beginning around that time when he was still alive and he didn't really understand this focus on the self, putting your picture on, on social media and just focusing on yourself all the time. And he was, one of his sayings is, I mean, I, I have to see the back of the book, but I have all his sayings, but you know, he felt that like, there has to be less emphasis on the self and more emphasis on God. And um, it's interesting because when he was still alive, this exhibit he created on Eucharistic miracles, which he created a website and it became an exhibit. It actually went to the Vatican. And he refused to have his name on it. And not because he wasn't proud, but he's like, I don't want any emphasis on me. I want the emphasis to be on Jesus and the Eucharist. So um, that's something that it did worry him. And, and he used to talk to his mom about, you know, technology, you can use it for good, but it can really, it can be used for bad things. So he knew that. 
Yeah, and he talked about that. Yeah. So he dies from leukemia in 2006. And sometimes it takes 50 or hundreds of years before, you know, a, a person's holiness is verified. We declare them a saint. He's pretty quick. Yeah. And you said even at like the funeral, he had people coming out of the woodwork, the homeless that he had right. served, classmates, um, janitors. Like he treated everyone with such respect and dignity and everyone was coming out to honor him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Apparently at the funeral, there were people there that his parents were like, who are these people? They didn't even know who they were. Um, Carlo, as you know, from the book, uh, not only was he really into technology and really into his friendships at school, but he did a lot of community service, helping the homeless literally every night. I asked the family secretary, I'm like, how often did he go out and bring food to the homeless in Milan? And she said, every night, starting around the age of eight or nine, he would say, mom, let's wrap up the food that we have left over and let's just go outside. And, you know, he was a city kid. So there were homeless people right outside. And Milan is like New York. It's freezing cold in the wintertime. And it just really hurt him that there would be so many people living outside. So there were a lot of homeless people at his funeral. And, you know, it's just, I can just imagine the scene. Like his entire school was there. He was apparently very popular in the school, but not popular in like the mean boy way, but popular in like the friends of everyone way. <laughs> so um, everyone at the school was there the janitors, the, and the people he would talk to on his way home from school, shopkeepers, doorkeepers, everyone knew him and loved him. So right away, people were saying he was a saint. And like, it was almost, um, I, I, I interviewed the postulator for the cause of canonization. And he said, it was like a virtual hurricane. Right away, people were saying, this boy was a saint. He has to be, you know, he has to go and become beatified and canonized. This guy deserves it. So that's awesome. That's so great. Um, yeah. So yeah, in the Catholic Church, there is that opening of someone's case that it can take a long time because they've got to look through all sorts of documents and do all sorts of interviews. But yeah. then there's actually got to be evidence from heaven. Like there has to be evidence that the person is yeah. interceding, usually through a medical yeah. miracle here on earth. Sure. in order to move yeah. towards being declared a saint. And so that happened that at least we've had one. We, I mean, from what I've read, it seems like there's a lot of informal moments of intercession and anecdotal uh, testimonies of people saying he's at work. But but we've got one like medical yeah. miracle on the books to move him. Sure. That that allowed him to be a blessed. Right. Right. Because he'll need another one yeah. between becoming blessed and to becoming a saint. He needs another. There needs to be another verified miracle. Yeah. Um, what Antonia told me is there have been hundreds of miracles and many of them right away at the funeral. There were people who prayed to Carlo at the fun at his funeral. And one woman was apparently cured of cancer. And another woman who had been trying to conceive a baby for a decade uh, discovered that week she was um, with child. And another woman, and you know, these are, I think these are beautiful miracles too. She had this uh, thing where she had not spoken to her granddaughter in years. There was sort of this um, bad relationship. And at the funeral, she felt the grace to make peace with this granddaughter, and they did. And there were a lot of stories of teenagers who maybe had been fighting with their parents in Carlos' school, you know, other 
high school students that made peace with their parents. Um, there were kids he knew that were not, he had a lot of friends who weren't practicing the faith. And some of them started going to mass after he died. Um, so she told me, like, if you go to the website of Carlo, there's an official website. There's a, a whole section where, you know, you can have prayers said for someone, but you can send a testimony of a grace or a miracle that has happened to you. So they're collecting. And it seemed to me that she said, you know, we have all the miracles we need. Mm. It, it just has to, the Vatican has to choose the right one. But she seemed to indicate that really they, they, they had plenty of miracles, but, you know, keep praying. I, I always say that, um, this is kind of funny, but anytime I have a computer problem or a technology problem, I pray to Carlo and I swear it always gets resolved. <laughs> Good to know. I'm really I'm bad. Gonna, with yeah. Technology. I'm taking that. <laughs> I always turn it off and then turn it on again. And then if it doesn't work, blessed Carlo. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I think that there are plenty of stories of, of graces, of miracles, of favors, of spiritual conversions. Um, and they're all beautiful stories. So let's hope it happens soon that they canonize him. It's just a matter of time, in my opinion. What's beautiful, too, is that he wanted to be buried in Assisi. And out of all these tropical places his friends were traveling to they're like a cc like what's there's nothing to visit but he loved visiting there he wanted to be buried there he is and when we visited um we see saint Clair, we see saint francis and then we see blessed carlo and so you've got like hundreds of years in between yeah. of these holy people and yet in our own day and age god is still working like here he is. And so I, I just, for me, it's, he's been such a, a testament against all my excuses. Like, right. He's yeah, like, all of us. Yeah. he seems like my little brother that's kind of following me around right now. And like, I'm like, oh, I, I'm too tired to take the kids to daily mass or, oh, uh, there's no, I got too much to do to pray right now. He's like, hey, buddy. Or you're on hour three of the PlayStation what? or <laughs> hour two. <laughs> Going into three, <laughs> there's that like, hey, like he he said like I want I want to be able to say I didn't waste a second of my time here on Earth. Yeah, yeah. No, he's a good lesson for all of us. Um, I mean, he lived the same 24 hours a day that we did, and he went to school. He had to study, and yet he found time to do all these other things. Um, yeah. So he's a, he's a big example, I think, for all of us. I think the other thing about him that's interesting is how holiness is attractive when it's real. Mm. And uh, when he died, they interviewed every student in his high school, which is um, it's a Jesuit high school in Milan. It's co-ed. And all the students had stories of, of him. He wasn't like, oh, we didn't know or talk to him ever. He was always in the corner. No, he was a friend to everyone. Uh, but what's interesting is that he knew his faith. So even though he was young, he um, he had read the Catechism of the Catholic Church. He he had a very good memory. And I don't know if you read this story, but in his religion class, there were times when the teacher would be trying to, you know, teach a theological concept, which was a little bit difficult, and they wouldn't get it, the students. And then the teacher would go, Carlo. And he, Carlo would be like, well... 
what the teachers means to say is, and he would re-explain it in a way that everyone could understand. And the students said, Carla was able to explain, you know, theological concepts much better than our teacher. Um, and apparently he also taught catechism. He was teaching a confirmation class and his students loved him because he really knew how to make the faith interesting and intelligible for them. So, yeah. And it's beautiful because both Bobby and I have worked with high school teens, middle school teens, and we know it is possible like people might hear yeah. the story of Carlo and be like, "Oh, yeah, right." There's no, like kids aren't like that, but Bobby and I know there are young men and women who are like that and who are yeah. joyful and holy and just so yeah, and they and people love being around them because instead of being a yeah. kind of a negative person to be around or someone who's kind of life sucking, yeah. there are people out there who are life giving, who are a light. And so I just yes. yeah, I just imagine him like, "Yep, I, that kind of kid, like Bobby had some of those in his, and when he was a teacher, you just had like some of these young men, 15, 16, 17, you're like, wow, you are mature yeah. beyond your years. Yeah. There's like a wisdom, a yeah. maturity. And so that's, it's so that's beautiful. Carlo. Was there... The other thing I wanted Sorry, to Sorry, you go. Yeah, go ahead. No, you go. So um, one thing that, you know, I figured out is that he came from a very wealthy family like very wealthy. The father is the president of an insurance company in Italy. And so they had, um, I don't know if they had a live in, you know, house servant, um, but definitely they were a family of means. And yet he was the opposite of a spoiled kid. Um, apparently the, the, this Indian man who uh, was the house servant um, converted to Catholicism because of his friendship with Carlo. Carlo, uh, he loved Carlo, and he was so impressed with what a good boy Carlo was. And Carlo, okay, he was going to daily mass, and when, even when he was a little boy, so, you know, he would have, someone had to bring him there, because he was too little to go on his own, and so he would drag his mom, his dad, and Rajesh, this house servant, and this, you know, he's bringing this little seven-year-old boy to mass, and eventually, you know, and they would talk, and, and he became convinced because of Carlo, so he converted and several of his Indian friends in Rome converted to Catholicism because of Carlo. So, um, yeah, no, Carlo's just a very unique, a unique boy. Really amazing. So the website that Blessed Carlo created is still alive. As I mentioned, we'll put it in the show notes. Can you share a little bit more yeah. about that website he spent four years working on? Right. So um, as I might have mentioned earlier, uh, Carlos started to teach catechism. And one of the things he realized is that a lot of the kids in his classes were not excited about the Eucharist and they weren't that excited about mass. And, you know, he also realized it's probably because the parents are not that excited. And he said, what can we what can we do to get people more excited about the Eucharist? And then he started to think, well, if people understood Eucharistic miracles more, it might make it more interesting for them. So I think he and his parents went for a trip to Lanciano, Italy, where there was a very famous Eucharistic miracle in the year 800, in the 800s. And so, um, so he began to research Eucharistic miracles around the world. And he spent four years working on this website. Where possible, he and his family traveled to the sites and took pictures. But if not, he would um, contact them and they would send him pictures or videos. And he created this incredible website 
which um, you can just Google Carlo Acutis Eucharistic Miracles and you'll get it because the actual site is in Italian. It's miracolieucaristici.org. Don't worry about it. Just Carlo Acutis Eucharistic Miracles and it will bring you there. And this website, it's in 17 languages. So you just click on English and it has hundreds of stories of Eucharistic miracles. I had no idea. I thought there were only like two. You know, I'd only heard about, you know, I think one in Lanciano, Italy and Orvieto. And that was it. And then you start going through this website and you're like, oh my gosh. And some of these Eucharistic miracles are recent. You know, there, there was a recent one in Poland in the 2000s and three Eucharistic miracles in Argentina in the 1990s. So these are fascinating stories. And this is, this is why he stopped playing on the PlayStation because he was doing research for this website. So um, this is an amazing website. Oh, this is, uh, Carlo's the only beatified person to have been a, a computer programmer, which is super cool. Yeah. And, uh, and this is a live website. I mean, you can still look at it. You can download panels. And um, from this website, people have, um, they download the panels and you can have a Eucharistic Miracles exhibit in your own parish. It's been in, I believe, 10,000 parishes around the world on um, five continents. So this is huge. And this was Carlo's great work of his life. This, this website. So I highly suggest if anyone's listening to this, go check it out. It's really cool. In your experience of writing the yeah. book, was there any kind of um, moment or was there any like kind of anything in the process of writing the book that took you by surprise or stands out to you looking back on it now? Because the book came out in May of 2022, correct? So not, uh, yes, it came out last May, right? Yeah. So not, not that long. Is there anything just thinking back on, on writing of the book, is there any kind of moment that really stands out to you from that process? I don't know. The, the, I mean, the whole process was really a joy for me. I, I was asked to do this project. I mean, even if I dreamt this, I, it just landed on my lap. Holy Heroes contacted me and they said, we read your article about Carlo Acutis. After I interviewed Antonia, I, I published this article and then the very next day, I got an email from Holy Heroes. I had no connection with them whatsoever. And so I, I spoke on the phone and with them. And they said, you know, this is what we do. We write books on saints for young teens. We'd like something on Carlo Acutis because all the saints they have are like from a long time ago. So I said, yeah, I'd love to do this. So the, the whole experience just has been a big blessing for me. Um, um, and I could relate to him because I, I have teenagers, um, you know, and uh, so I'm surrounded by my teens, their friends, and, you know, I see how teens live today. And, you know, I just kind of wish Carlo was in my house because <laughs> he was such a good boy. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it was just the whole experience was just a blessing. And, um, you know. Thank God. Yeah, truly. We have quite a few young people, young adults that um, will watch this. And so anyone who's got an interest in writing or journalism, what advice would you have for them who are maybe thinking about it, wondering if I could actually make a career of it, what that would take? Is there anything uh, you could share, any kind of advice? Well, 
I think it'd be, you know, it's great if you spend a lot of time reading and writing. Um, you don't necessarily have to study journalism. I didn't. But what is good is if you get an internship with a newspaper, you, you just have to practice the craft. It's a craft. And you need a good editor. When I got this job in Rome, I had an editor who worked with me and he was really tough on me. Um, but I knew that um, he was doing it for my own good and I gradually got better. So it's something that um, like, you know, if you're in college, I would take a lot of good English classes um, just or classes in political science, something that makes you write a lot. The more you write, the better you're going to get. And and if you're interested in Catholic media, I mean, you have to be interested in everything in the world, everything, um, because you could look at everything in life through the Catholic lens, and that will make you a good journalist. But yeah, um, study, write a lot, and try to find internships with any kind of newspaper um, that will just teach you the craft. And better yet, I mean, I don't know, we do have several Catholic uh, newspapers in the country and now um, websites. So it's, I think it's getting bigger and bigger. It's bigger than it used to be. But there's also radio journalism and what you guys are doing, podcasts, which is super fun. <laughs> so, um, yeah, get used to speaking in public if that's the kind of journalism you want to do. In the spirit of Blessed Carlo, yeah. it really is use the technology for good. So there are the traditional yeah, yeah. newspaper outlets and those modes of journalism still today. And there's also blogs and podcasts and everything else out there. And so, yeah. and all sorts of different right. apps that I am too tired to keep up with. And so we need young people uh, in all arenas. So that's, that's yeah. something too that Blessed Carlo challenges me on. It's like, be not afraid. Like put God first and then yeah. use the tools we've been given for good. Right. I think a lot of our um, great Catholic universities in, in the U.S. now have journalism majors. And I know when I was in Rome, um, there are many pontifical universities, if you want to do graduate studies, that also have communication majors. Um, so that's something to look into. Sabrina, thank you so much for your time with us today on this podcast episode. Blessed Carlo Acutis, The Amazing Discovery of a Teenager in Heaven. We'll put the link below for anyone interested in buying the book. Thank you so much again for being here. Thank you. It's been awesome. You guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode and uh, join us next time for Conversations with Jackie and Bobby. Thanks. You're listening to the Lunchtime Podcast Sampler on Catholic Radio Indie. We'll be back with more right after this. When a business is looking to expand, they say it's all about location, location, location. But what about when the church needs to expand? To stretch out and reach those fallen away, estranged from the faith, are those who simply have never heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then it's all about vocation, vocation, vocation. We need more people dedicated to the mission of serving the church, more priests, more deacons, more men and women of vowed service, and more lay workers willing to go into the fields. 
The harvest is rich, but the workers are few. Is God calling you to service? Pray on it, and while you're there, pray for more vocations. A simple request from your friends at Catholic Radio Indy. The first radio station signed on back in the 1930s. And wow, people could get news without having to wait for the next day's newspaper and hear great entertainment right in their living rooms. Uh, But then in the late 40s, television came along. And since it could add visual content, well, that would probably kill off radio. But it didn't. In the 70s, satellite radio, 8-track tapes and cassettes, and the Walkman came along. Surely one of these would kill off radio. But they didn't. Now there's streaming on computers, podcasts, Alexa, and smartphones that put the world at your fingertips. And you know what? Radio is still here. In fact, a recent survey of people aged 18 and up showed that on a monthly basis, radio reached more people than television, including time-shifted TV. And for audio programming, more people than smartphones, PC, Alexa, or tablets. When you support Catholic Radio Indy, you're supporting a powerful tool that has the potential to reach over one million people every day with the message of salvation. If you're one of our donors, thank you very much. If you haven't joined our family of donors yet, today would be a good day to do that. Just go to catholicradioindy.org and click on the donate button. That's catholicradioindy.org. And thank you for your support. Learn more about the Catholic faith in a fun, exciting way. It's Catholic Challenge 2.0. Test your Catholic knowledge with questions like this. Who was the first person born in the Western Hemisphere to be canonized a saint? Was it St. Rose of Lima, St. Catherine Drexel, or St. Isaac Jokes? Answers to this and more with Catholic Challenge 2.0. Catholic Challenge 2.0 every Thursday afternoon at 4.30 on Catholic Radio Indy. Wheels keep turning. Time keeps ticking. The wise keep learning. God keeps teaching. Use your moments. Learn well. Catholic Radio Indy. Listen, Carlo Acutis has become a saint to whom many children and young adults can relate. He played soccer. He went to school. He even played video games. Our next offering on the sampler brings this saint into focus as an example for our youth. In this episode of the Catholic Sprouts Daily Podcast for Catholic Kids, Clara from Holy Heroes introduces Blessed Carlo Acutis as an example that you don't have to be old to be a saint. You're listening to Catholic Sprouts the daily podcast for Catholic kids that strives to plant seeds of faith. Hey Sprouts, I'm Clara from Holy Heroes. Holy Heroes is a Catholic company that strives to bring the joy of the faith to you and your family. Today is September 12th, 2022. This week, I'm going to talk to you guys about Carlo Acutis. You may have heard of him. He became a blessed in the Catholic Church in October 2020. But here's the crazy thing. While a lot of people become blesseds in the Catholic Church, 
there aren't a lot of people who become a blessed when their parents, younger siblings, and friends are still alive and even get to be there at the beatification. Carlo Acutis was born in 1991. While most people know him as an Italian blessed, he was actually born in London. His parents were there working for a couple years, and Carlo was born and baptized in London before moving back to Milan, Italy, when he was just four months old. Before he even returned home to Milan, he had already said his first words, Papa and Mama, when he was just three and four months old. So he was a pretty early talker. The interesting thing is Carlo's parents weren't practicing Catholics when Carlo was born. It was important to them that Carlo was baptized in the Catholic Church, but Carlo's dad rarely went to Mass, and his mother never went to Mass. She said when Carlo was born, she really hadn't been back to church since her wedding. Even though Carlo's parents weren't practicing Catholics and didn't really talk to Carlo about his faith, he had a nanny when he was a little boy named Beta. Now, this nanny loved Pope John Paul II and would talk to Carlo all about the Polish Pope that she loved so much. And this inspired Carlo to not only also love Pope John Paul II, but to start asking questions about God and why Pope John Paul II loved him so much. His parents were pretty surprised when he started asking him these questions. And they were even more surprised when they would go for walks through Milan and Carlo would stop at every church and ask to go inside. Even though his mom and dad were surprised, they thought it was really sweet. So they would take little Carlo into the church. They were shocked when he would start to go up to statues of our Lord and kiss the feet of the statues. Then as he walked through Milan, he would also start bringing flowers, walking into churches to leave them at statues of Our Lady. Before he was even four years old, Carlo was asking some pretty deep theological questions about God, about the purpose of his life, and what he needed to be doing every day to get to heaven. His parents didn't really know how to answer these questions, and his mother was so taken aback by them that she went to talk to her friend. Now, she asked her friend because she knew this friend was a practicing Catholic, and her friend said, well, you should go talk to a priest. When Carlo's mom approached the priest, the priest told her, well, you need to take a theology class to start answering some of these questions. While Carlo's mom originally took the class just to answer her little four-year-old's questions, she was so struck by what she learned that she continued to take theology classes for the next 12 years. Now, there's a lot more I can say about Carlo, but I'm not going to be able to say all of it today. So we're going to come back tomorrow to talk about what Carlo did during his years in school and what that was like. But before you think that all Carlo did was talk about God or want to go into churches, know that while he loved doing both those things and he encouraged his friends around him to do them too, he also did a lot of things that most other little boys were doing too. Like he loved to spend time with his pets. He had a lot more pets than I think most of you probably do. He had four dogs, two cats, and a little red goldfish. We'll talk more about them this week, too. See you tomorrow. That's it for Catholic Sprouts today. We'll be back tomorrow. But until then, continue to grow in your faith and truly sprout into the beautiful creation that God created you to be. Holy Heroes is my family's business. 
We help you bring the joy of the faith to your family through saint stories, books, games, and so much more. If you enjoyed hearing about Blessed Carlo, click the link in the show notes to get the free Holy Heroes four-page coloring download about Blessed Carlo. You can also go to holyheroes.com slash Carlo to learn more about our Blessed Carlo book, glory story, audio drama, prayer card, and more. And remember, our online adventures throughout the year are free. Check out holyheroes.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com. The feast day of Blessed Carlo Acutis is celebrated on October 14th. This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for October 14th. Today, we celebrate Blessed Carlo Acutis. Though Carlo's wealthy parents had their son baptized soon after his birth in 1991, they were not particularly religious. Carlo's questions about faith prompted them to arrange for him to make his first communion at age seven. The boy became a frequent communicant, making a point of praying before the tabernacle, before or after every Mass. At school in Milan, Carlo comforted friends whose parents were undergoing divorce and defended disabled students from bullies. Considered a computer geek by some, Carlo spent four years creating a website dedicated to cataloging every reported Eucharistic miracle around the world. But he also enjoyed films, soccer, and playing video games. Diagnosed with leukemia, Carlo offered his sufferings to God for the intentions of the Pope and the entire Church. He died in 2006 and was buried in Assisi. Many of his childhood friends were present in 2020 to witness Carlo's beatification at Assisi's Basilica of St. Francis. There's more about the saints, along with inspiration and Catholic resources, at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. That's all the time we have for Catholic Radio Indy's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler for today. You can find this show in podcast form at catholicradioindy.org, along with links and directions for more of the programs we've shared. I'm Kent Blanford, and until next time, may God bless. You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy. Did you miss something in this show or just want to hear it again? Podcasts of this and all our other great local programs are available 24-7 at catholicradioindy.org.